Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHCS 1220 and 98.1 FM. And every week we have our show on Thursdays at 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. For those of you who have not listened to the Ask Brian Show, uh, you know, I guess you're going to have to get a demerit. But now that you're watching it, we'll allow you to uh, to get a star. So you got your demerit wasted away. So people always ask us, what is the Ask Brian Show and, and why did you name it that way? So Ask Brian is a radio show that each week we try to bring in someone from the business community that can either A, help you learn a new skill, or B, they have a very interesting story and they can share tips and bits of information to help you out. We're basically business educators. That's the goal and that's the role for Ask Brian. Now, the other question that almost everybody asks is about why you do spell Ask Brian, A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N, why not spell it A-N or Y-A-N or I-A-N? Or where did he come up with the name? So each week we try to explain why we have an E in the Brian name, not just because it's easier to get the domain name, which was the true story, but also why we have the E. Now, our engineer, which also begins with an E, usually is going to try to help us out here. I've been feeding him fish like the seal, so he's been very helpful recently. And if he gets them all, he gets a whole bucket of fish. So... Are you, are you there? What's I'm, going on? I'm, I'm waiting on you to, to finish with the berating <laughs> of me. Hi, everybody. This is the engineer. And yes, he took away my favorite word of the various... How many what? How many E's in the engineer? Engineer, that is three. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of E's. There's a lot of E's. But anyways, so with the Ask Brian show, there's a number of words that start with E that kind of are almost thematic of well, what the Ask Brian show kind of, you know, does and stands for. One of them happened to be, you know, engineer because, you know, you can't really run the show without, you know, the engineer. That would be me. Until? So, until what? AI. That does not start Artificial with- intelligence comes in uh, or we get an automated board or they make it so easy that I can run it. But go ahead. Neither of those start with an E, so it doesn't what count. What about making it easy enough that I can run it with, you know, just drag and drop? <laughs> oh, my. Anyways, the other themes we have is, well, experts is another word because everybody is an expert in their field of choice on the Ask Brian show. So outside of experts, we have empathy, which he was not being very empathetic with the whole AI thing. And I was totally empathetic. I didn't make a joke last 10 seconds. That's true. You were empathetic on the last joke. So you know what? I, you know, actually, I'll take that back. You were empathetic. Uh, other ones we have is experience because everybody is experienced in what they do here and uh, experience counts. Are you experienced? Yes, three years and counting. Three years what? In preschool? <laughs> no. Can't anyone be an engineer? Alex knows the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I'm busy writing the AI code to eliminate the engineer. Sorry about that. Alex, no! That's right. <laughs> oh, my. And then uh, we have experience, empathy, experts, engineers. Excitement! And, and what about enthusiasm, too? Hmm? I don't know about that. No? I mean, they're pretty synonymous with each other. It's not like me when I do it. Excitement! <laughs> True. But you have some enthusiasm with it, though. 
Yeah. It counts. And why do we have those words? Because they're all thematic of Vasparian. No, because we had a guest on one episode. Oh. And in that episode, I thought that the most important trait for to be successful was to be relentless, okay, to not stop, to be determined. And she said, no, that's not the most important trait. The most important trait is to be excited and enthusiastic. It works. It does Passion. work. Passion. Yeah. Passion. But that doesn't start with an E, so we have to get And having team. a lot of money helps, too. Hey, yo. That'll make you much more likely to succeed. You can always hire people to do stuff. <laughs> it's got to be the right people. True. Go ahead. True. I think we're done with the E's right now, aren't we? Or am I missing one? You got experts? I did get experts. You got excellence? Ooh, I didn't get excellence. Excellence because everybody's- was not excellent. I was not excellent. Not excellent, no. You got an E minus. I get an E Because <laughs> we only use E's. <laughs> True. I'll take the E minus. Well, without any further ado, today we have two guests, and we also brought back the longtime all-star co-host, Alex Grossman! Woo! Hey, Mr. Brian Chachi, you're waking me up here, because I'm too busy programming this AI, this AI you know? I, it, it doesn't start with an E, but C++ there, Mr. Engineer. Don't hey, worry. So. Don't worry. I, I have a very good time hiring developers. It's very simple for me. Anytime I hire a developer, they know what they're doing. They get the job done quick. You got to throw me a bone, Alex. Come on. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, a, there's a tool called Elixir that uh, I've used before, so don't worry about it there, Patty. You'll be fine. All right. Thanks, sir. Don't worry about it. You know, um, I hear this, you know, there's a lot of street cleaning jobs available oh my God. <laughs> when no. AI takes over for you. So without any further ado, A-D-I-E-U, and why do I like that word? Because every single letter except the D are vowels. And? What's the and to that? I just want to get you. Know, There's that. no and. I wanted to see that face. <laughs> but now, without any further ado, though, we have two guests today, not just one. Can I get a drum roll? You know what? Actually, I can. Give He's, me actually one second to find you know, one. You, you kind of take off the whole thing of the show. <laughs> you need to have like a drum roll. No, we, right we, we do have drum rolls, actually. A good engineer would have it right away. <laughs> Well, give me the drum roll. I'm I guess I'm waiting. It. <laughs> it's programmatically stop. easy to put a drum roll in. Uh, we, we can do that with the AI tool. Don't worry about it. Hey, It'll Alex, why don't you do a drum roll on your desk? <laughs> there you go. All right, thanks. Next time. All right, so without any further ado, we have our guest, Mandy Brewer. Mandy, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Okay. And we have our, our, our other guest that we'll be talking to also today, and that is Paul McNabb. Paul, you there? I am. Thanks for the introduction, guys. Super, super, super. So for people that don't know anything about your backgrounds, I'd like to first, Paul, why don't you go over your background, quickie, one-minute you know, summary about your history. Yeah, absolutely. So originally from Oklahoma City or the Oklahoma City area, and um, come from a family that, that was kind of comprised of uh, oil and gas and banking. And so, you know, being in the, in the South, in Oklahoma specifically, it, it kind of made sense coming out of, out of school to go into the oil and gas industry. So I ended up going uh, to Oklahoma State and pursuing a degree in geology and then got out of school and then went to work in the oil and gas business until the, the big crash in 07 and 08. And during that time, I had the opportunity to make a career move, just not knowing what the future of that industry looked like. And so I ended up working directly for Walmart specifically in their Sam's Club division at corporate. And let's just say that was quite a quite a roller coaster going from oil and gas to, to that industry. So I, I ended up being at Sam's Club for about three years. 
and then went into the uh, supplier community where I was with uh, a large candy CPG company and then ended up going into private label, working with the Equate and Great Value products and helping launch a lot of those food items um, at Walmart. So did that for, gosh, seven years or so and then uh, had an opportunity to uh, get into the ramen business and that's where I'm at today. So it's kind of a 30,000 overview of, of my background. So current companies, name that company? That's Albany Farm. And that's the, that's the ramen company you just mentioned, correct? It is, yeah. So it's really right now, the, the industry is really, I mean, this is an interesting segment of business, but uh, it's one that's growing and, and there's some dominant players. But I mean, I think what we're seeing through the pandemic is an opening for some smaller players to come in and really get a foothold in it and grow. And there's room for new development. So, I mean, it just made sense. Our founder, Bill. Tyler did a phenomenal job getting the product and the company off the ground, and, and we're really excited about the future. That's quite a pivot. You know, I don't think of people in the oil and gas industry as being the next people to work at a Sam's Club. You know, I'm thinking people, maybe college graduates, <laughs> maybe people that were buyers somewhere, but I mean. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely a, uh, it was a life-changing uh, move for sure. I mean, my whole background, I mean, I've watched my mom, you know, grow up in the oil and gas business and, and watched her career take off. And, and, you know, my dad was in banking in Oklahoma City, which that was a whole, I mean, a lot of the, the loans and financing was, was all oil and gas related or ag related. And so to make a move into the retail segment, it was night and day a polar opposite for me. So, I mean, going into that business, it was drinking from a fire hose for the first year. And I really wasn't sure if I wanted to stay or go. And, and uh, as a result, I stuck with it, and, and it was. It, I knew it provided more stability longer term for family, and uh, didn't have quite the volatility. But I mean, I think what what I saw, you know, long term was that this was was obviously it was stability, but it also had unlimited growth potential. And obviously, working for the number one retailer in the world, I mean, that that opened up a lot of doors. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for them. So I owe a lot to uh, to the Walmart industry um, as a whole, but also. You know, there's so much potential that I uncovered that I never even knew existed. So it's been an incredible ride, and I'm I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. Uh, Mandy, why don't you go a little bit over your background? Yeah, sure. So I also previously worked for Sam's Club um, for roughly two years, um, which really it enabled me to really maximize selling strategies. You know, by identifying the measures and metrics utilized by retailers um, to increase the white space and sales. Um, I spent most of my career um, in Northwest Arkansas, born and raised in Northwest Arkansas. Um, so I've seen, you know, the growth of the retail footprint firsthand um, and understand the details of obviously the ever-evolving merchandising matrix. Um, I have two decades of multi-category experience um, ranging from jewelry to small appliances and um, pet food, and now obviously into dry grocery um, with Albany Farms. So, you know, working with Paul, you know, we each have our own diverse backgrounds, you know, which makes us a great team together. Um, But, you know, there are things I've learned growing up as well. You know, my family worked for Walmart as well. My mom retired 30 years, basically, from Walmart Sam's Club as she was a, a Sam's international buyer and director and basically ending her career in the logistics manager role. But my father owned a company. Um, basically, they acted as a, a mediator between the manufacturer and Walmart and inspected consumer electronics 
And so basically items that were defected were returned to the stores if under warranty or sent back to the manufacturer. So I kind of grew up in the business and yeah, it's been, it's been a ride for sure. So you both worked for Walmart. Is that how you guys met through contacts through Walmart? Is that how you got together or it just is you're working at the same company and now you realize that you had a similar background? Yeah, so we actually, I mean, we both work for Sam, so we, we shared that background together, but then also we had mutual friends through the industry and acquaintances that, you know, we, we crossed paths. I mean, the Northwest Arkansas area is such a small area to begin with, with such a big population um, in relative size that it, we, you know, we, we knew of each other, we were friends, and then obviously the Albany Farms thing came together, and, and Mandy was already working there and, and introduced me to Bill, and, and it just took off from there, so... It's been a friendship that's, that's lasted many years, and, and it kind of all culminated with a background from working at Sam's. So here's the billion-dollar question, and then I know Alex has some questions. The billion-dollar question. I'm a small business <laughs> owner. I got a little product. I don't know. I'm selling, selling vitamin C, okay? And there's probably ten, thousands of companies out there. I want to get into Walmart because I think, wow, that would be great for my sales. What do I do? Yeah, there's obviously, you could ask, 10 different people and get 10 different answers. I, I think, you know, the what I would tell you is, one, I mean, have a product that's differentiated from anything on the market. I think that's what's going to be the biggest driver. I think, two, having, if your product's made in the USA, that's going to put you to the top of the list from a merchant level, from a VP level. That's initiatives that not only Walmart, but the Target, your HEB, Kroger's, Costco's. I mean, everybody's really keen in on driving economic growth here in, in the U.S. And so that's going to get you to the front of the line for, for at least an introductory meeting. And then obviously, you know, the price point has got to be competitive. And, and I'm not saying it has to be the lowest price by any means. But I think if you have those three components checked off and you have a good supply chain, which is paramount right now, given the post-pandemic world we're living in, I think, you know, you can, one, reach out to the buyer directly. And, and if you don't know how to do that, there's websites that contain buyer lists. There's LinkedIn is a great option. But, but then there's also a route where you could go and contact. There's countless brokers that work with Walmart who can handle the supply chain side, the paperwork side of things that, that will be required once you get in. I think if you reached out to one of those groups, they could help make that introduction and increase your odds of getting it into the stores themselves. So I think it's just, it depends on your item, what the scalability of your item is and how aggressive you want to be with getting that item on shelf. More to the point. So I would think that, you know, they, they have such capacity to have such big orders. Do they ever start out with a small order, test it out, see how it works and then move on so that you can actually make some money and, and build it? Or do you have to like, all right, you know, you're going to go to 10,000 stores and you need $9 million of, of inventory and, you know, you only got a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, yes. To answer your question directly, yes, you can start off with a test. And a lot of times these merchants out here are very cautious about taking on risk unless the product is just completely something new and innovative that they know is, is going to just take off and go go gangbusters. But what I would say is a lot of times they will they will define what that region is and, and they rely a lot on the supplier to tell them, you know, where have you been selling previously? What is that? What is your demographic of your consumer look like? And then they'll, they'll work with you on a strategy and, and understand what your supply chain constraints are. And that really opens up the door to help get you into the stores in the right area and make sure both not only yourself, 
but the retailer can grow at an appropriate pace for both companies and, and allows you to scale up in steps as opposed to just taking on, you know, to your point, uh, 10,000 stores or whatever that may look like um, and, and trying to go, you know, full nationwide distribution from the start, which is, as you know, it, it, it's highly capital intensive. It requires an immense supply chain and, and, and could be tough for small business owners. So Alex Gross, my co-host, is going to be interviewing both Paul McNabb, Mandy Brewer. Wow. So Mandy and Paul, I have a little bit of experience getting products into Walmart. I, I just want to give my little piece of the background. You can tell me where I'm completely wrong here, if that's okay. So I know, you know, you just covered you don't have to be a billion-dollar company to get in there, you need to be a small company, or you could do it with a small company, but as you said, inventory control, pieces like that are difficult. But there's more than just the store and the club to Walmart, right? There's Walmart and Sam's right. Club, the e-commerce side, which I think, you know, and I have a lot of experience on the, the other company, the AM company on that, and, you know, how they do that. So you kind of have the ship it to the warehouse or ship it to the end user directly or the customer directly, and then the marketplace. And, and I'm wondering if one of you could describe that a little bit so people understand it. Is that, is that an okay place to start? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll let Mandy take this one. Yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to when I was um, talking about I worked for um, a very small family-owned um, dog cat food uh, business. And again, family owned, started out very small and ended up, you know, tripling in size, you know, within a few years time and um, going out to all the big retailers um, from Walmart to Target, even the grocery chain. And we ended up, you know, a few years down the road selling the company um, to a very large CPG company. Um, so it just means that, you know, you can really start from the bottom and work your way up and get the right, you know, team in place, um, whether it be through e-commerce or, you know, in-store. Um, it, it, was, it was quite interesting um, how it all, you know, was pulled together. And so what I did when I was working with them, I worked through a broker because I wasn't mm-hmm. sure which way to go. I, I didn't know, should this product be e-commerce or... You know, should I try to go in the marketplace or should I try to go in the store? And I got, I got some pretty good advice on how to do that. And I think, like you said, when you're looking at how they treat suppliers, you know, the, the first thing they did is they said, you know, what's your resource? Well, you know, how much cash do you essentially have? You know, we, we can break you. I think in the old days, people used to always use Sears for this. They used to say, Sears can either make you a billionaire or make you a homeless person, right? And I think it's true with, with Walmart as well. So I think you have to go in eyes open. Is that, is that the way you feel it, it has to be? I mean, just don't shoot for broke, kind of know where your place should be. Yeah, and, you know, we actually had um, at, at the pet food company that I worked with, we had a team, um, you know, a buyer just for e-commerce. And, you know, a lot of marketing dollars goes into that. Um, and advertising and things like that. Um, the way people click on the internet, just so many different avenues that you take through the e-com. I mean, because e-com is the way to the future, for sure, of the future. Mandy's right. E-com is definitely the way of the future. But I, I think, you know, the, the big thing I would, I would tell your viewers is you don't have to 
you know, start off with, you know, $10 million to get this up and up and running. And, and, you know, that there's companies, you know, Amazon has done a phenomenal job with Seller Central and things like that, where if you have a product, even if you're, you know, just starting out of your garage, you can get it listed on, you know, on Amazon, you can get it listed on Walmart's marketplace now. And that's opening up so many doors and giving so many buyers in the store visibility to products they would have never have seen or even heard of. And a lot of these new items that are coming out that you're seeing in, in brick and mortar and on online were really proven out on e-commerce as, as kind of the testing platform, so to speak, to get it into the stores. So, I mean, I can't stress enough that the e-commerce channel is definitely being watched heavily from senior level and down and really is what's going to be what you see in the stores in five, ten years, if not sooner. Oh, that's great. I, I want to ask you, and you may not know this, but I, I, I want to throw something out here. So I know that Amazon, as a company, they say that when people search for products, 58% of the products that they sell, or that was the last number I heard, actually came from people just going directly to Amazon searching. So they didn't even go to Google and search for something. They just went up to Amazon and looked for it because, of all the reasons like that. Is that the same thing we're seeing for for Walmart? Are people looking at it as a destination? And the second part of that question is, if you do go to Walmart e-commerce, do they do a lot of Google placement as well? So if I search in Google, will Walmart be the first or second place if my product is or my type of product is there? Will people find it? I, I know it's a double question, but it's really interesting. It's very yeah, typical no, of you, Alex, too, to ask a double question. <laughs> it's definitely the right questions to be asking. And I would tell you that, you know, for the first part of it, I mean, is Walmart, you know, a destination? I think Amazon is still leading that effort. And I know Walmart wouldn't be happy to hear that. But I think even they recognize Amazon is, has been ahead of them and really driven that e-commerce platform and had a head start. And while Walmart's bridging that gap, the loyalty that an Amazon has is, is tremendous. And so I think, you know, what you're seeing is Walmart's trying to close that gap and you're starting to see it, you know, with Target, with Kroger, some of the other big players, Kroger on the grocery side with their partnership, you know, with, with Walgreens and things like that. So, I mean, there's, there's things going on in the industry to combat that. But what I would say is that when you start looking at your items specifically, you know, a lot of what's being seen now and, and where companies are going to position themselves is on social media. Whereas in the past, you know, Google has been a big driver. And, and don't get me wrong, it still is. But Facebook ads are now more important than ever. You're seeing things on Instagram. You're seeing things on TikTok. Products are going viral. And that's even independent without any marketing dollars or anything, you know, some big budget. Um, you're seeing a lot of grassroots initiatives that are being basically self-funded by proceeds and profits from the products themselves uh, that's fueling a lot of the ad spend and, and revenue spend that you're seeing online. So I think it's going to be, you're going to see a lot of newer technologies coming out over the next, I'd say, year to two years, partnering more so with social media than ever before. But that's really where the bulk of the growth is going to start coming from. Yeah, and, and that makes sense to me because I, I work with a number of companies and we always try for organic growth rather than paid growth. I mean, you always start out with paid growth, as you say, and, and I think that's where, you know, I, I've noticed it just why, why you were talking. I searched for a couple different products and, you know, Walmart came up within the top three. Amazon, of course, you know, was, was right up at the top, but even over the website of the product. So I think, I think there definitely are there. 
and I noticed myself that, you know, my, my spend in Facebook has gone up considerably just because it's, it's easier to tie it, tie it together to groups and audiences. So I, I think that's, that's really, really the next wave. But let me take us back a second and talk about the stores and the clubs. And I know from the products that you guys sell, I mean, I'm fairly familiar with the Albany Farms brand. That's mostly sold on the shelf. So when you get it on the shelf, how do you get shelf space when you're working with a company that's so big? How do you not end up on the bottom shelf in the corner with a company like that? The merchandising seems to be really hard for just a company coming in unless you're a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, so I mean, I'll kind of give a, an overview and then let Mandy kind of do a deeper dive into to kind of how she's positioned the company with the buyer because she's done a tremendous job. But I, I think the biggest thing, you know, that came out of this is, is the pandemic exposed a lot of the big CDG supply chain gaps and weaknesses, and it's still going on today. And so, you know, you look at a company like Albany Farms who had the vision, who was able to react quickly, and they were able to mobilize a brand and went to a company like Walmart and basically laid out what the business strategy looks like, not only for the short term, but the long term, and was really able to solidify a partnership more than just, here's a product, you guys have a need, we'll sell it to you and put it on the shelf. And so what you're starting to see is a lot of these retailers have seen these these bigger CPGs, and not that there's anything wrong with, with the business model there, but you're starting to see them diversify a whole lot more than they have historically. And, and it's purely from a, a portfolio balance mix for their P&Ls, but also because the supply chain and the infrastructure is just not in place to where we thought it was. And so what Mandy's done, and, and Mandy, I'd ask you to kind of dive in here, you know, you, you've spent hours, you know, working with the buyer, working on long-term strategies, and, and maybe you can provide some insight there on just some of the context that, that you and, and this particular buyer have done. Sure. I mean, like you're, you were asking earlier, get to decide whether you're on the top shelf or the bottom shelf. Obviously, you don't want to be either of those places. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that being able to give the customer um, newness as they walk down the aisle, um, you know, just short-term strategies of what can we do short-term versus long-term. And, you know, placement on shelf, you never know where you're going to land. You hope it's, you know, dead center. Um, but at the same time, you know, being able to plan out your portfolio and how that, that basically leads to, you know, a long four-year term placement. Um, we've gained strategic placement due to our partnership. And it's really just, it is just that. It is a partnership, um, not just a transaction, as they say. It's a partnership and really working together on a daily basis almost um, just to be able to build the brand and build out your portfolio. Um, that involved executive leadership, you know, buy-in and return, um, you know, that they wanted to help build the brand. So, again, it's partnership. Yeah. So if I understand that right, like anything else, getting in the door is a lot of work. And once you're in the door, you have to work harder to stay in the door or to get in the right absolutely. position. Or, oh, yeah. yes, absolutely. Because, and, you know, I, I've heard my buyer say so many times, you know, I haven't heard from one of my suppliers in three months. 
Well, I can tell you that supplier is probably not going to be on shelf for long, (laughs) you know, because you have to really work hard at keeping your brand on shelf and growing your brand and just working in different ways to, you know, come up, brainstorm different ideas. What can we do different? What is going to engage that customer and be able to get that customer to walk our aisle and see newness and new things going on in that category, basically? Yeah, and I think that's also true in e-commerce is that it's more than just that single search word that they look for. It's, you know, when when a number of things come up, it's what's compelling to grab them, and you constantly have to be evolving with that as well. So I think I think that's really important. Someone's going to have to work really hard to get Mr. Brian Johnson to buy something other than Cocoa Puffs when he walks down that aisle, though. So, Alex, uh, I'm going to ask a question, and you can follow up and then uh, we'll go in that um, moment right now. So if you don't have the money and you get approved by Walmart and say, okay, you know, uh, we'll put, we'll, we'll have, allow you to put the widgets in our store, right? But you don't have the money. Does Walmart provide any financing to help you? Yeah. So I, I guess it's, you can answer that a couple different ways. I mean, obviously there's a, a giant push right now for for not only Walmart, but other retailers, um, but in, in particular to Walmart, they're heavily investing right now into Made of America products. And so what I would tell you, whether you, it's a, either a loan or, you know, an exchange for, you know, an investment into the business itself or for long-term business growth that has beneficial needs, I mean, there's definitely room for a retailer like a Walmart to partner with, with a supplier or, or a small business owner or even a large business for that matter. So it really comes down to the needs of not only the retailer, but also the needs of the business. So I would say, you know, in terms of financing, yes, there are certain areas that Walmart will work with you. Again, it just depends on, on what the scale of that is, um, you know, whether it can be taken into all stores down the road or or what the supply chain looks like. But but there's absolutely conversations that take place every day with, with leadership into how they can protect that business. So. I mean, I would tell you that if, if that's a concern and, and the product is a good product, there's absolutely nothing holding you back from presenting that to them um, and, and working together as a partnership to get that launched. So what I took from that, Paul, as well, is if you're a manufacturer, you're thinking of building a product, having it made, you got a good product and it can be made in the U.S. versus made overseas, you should seriously consider that or at least pitch that idea to Walmart because you might be able to get some financing and if even it costs you a few cents more, it might be worth it in the long run. Is that, did I take that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it comes down to a business uh, need. I mean, that's certainly an option. I mean, obviously the terms of it, that, that would be up to each business to determine at the end of the day. But I mean, look, there's, there's nothing there um, that hurts from hearing them out and, and also making the product known to them. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's an option that they can explore. I would think the hardest part involving a company like, like Walmart is to get in touch and contact with the buyer no matter what it is. So even if you've got the uh, the next Peloton or the next McDonald's or whatever it is, that concept, to get that information into the buyer's hands, how do you do that? Yeah, so I, I would say that there's two ways. I mean, for anybody wanting to cold call a buyer, I mean, typically they that's difficult. I'm just in full candid nature of that. I mean, it, it, they receive hundreds and thousands of emails a day, and so it can get lost. I mean, that's that's certainly an option you can go through looking on LinkedIn. I mean, all, a lot of the buyers are listed, 
Um, there's a website called Supplier Wiki that, that lists out all of the merchants that's on there. So there are things, tools online that will tell you who those merchants are. I would also say that there are a number of brokers, and, and I would I would say there are specialized brokers within, you know, if you're looking at Walmart, there's a handful in Northwest Arkansas that specialize in working with the Walmart buyers directly that you can reach out to. You can find them online. Um, you can even ask ask other manufacturers. They can point you. Many of them use brokers as well. But you can go that route, and they would have direct access to a lot of these buyers. They can help you build the presentations to present. And then, like I said, getting it in is in the meeting is one aspect of it. But then it's the ongoing discussions you have to have with the merchant, the reporting that they require, the supply chain upkeep, and reporting that goes on with that. So that's where the broker channel really shines is because they can help manage that. There is a fee to that, obviously, but that is, for a lot of small businesses, that fee um, is well worth the cost to navigate the channels of, of the Walmart business. So those would be the two ways I would I would recommend going if you have a product and want to get on shelf or online. The big question is, what is the standard fee for a broker? So I would say on average, you're, you're talking anywhere from 3 to 5%. You know, again, it depends on the item. It depends on the scalability, what kind of leverage there and what kind of price point. The other avenue yeah. I would tell you that you can always go is, is Walmart Marketplace, which anybody can go on and create an account and start selling on the Walmart platform. The person handles direct shipment at that point, but that is another alternative. But from a, a broker's rate, it's, it's standard 3 to 5%, depending on the, the firm. Thank you very much. We got to go. KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.